gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Anything happened over the weekend? Like, I, I guess we had talked about this a little bit because the last time we recorded one of these podcasts, um, the results of the election were still a bit more ambiguous than they are now, shall we say. But um, I wasn't really out here. Like, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd check and see, you know, if they'd had some resolution overnight. And after that, I'd go on about my business. Like, one, I think we talked about this last time, too, but I still think it's a point worth making right now. All they was doing was counting. You understand what I'm saying? Like, they was going to let me know when they got through counting or they'd done enough counting for them to feel like they had an answer, but all it was was counting. Like, nothing was actually going to change. Like, there wasn't a game going on. This was basically like, and I've seen some politicians try to make some sports-related comparisons to this, but you can't because this is why this is how this is different than sports, or at least different than most sports that I can think of. When you play most sports, they have this thing called the scoreboard, right? And while the game is going on, they are typically able to put down the points as they are scored. And then when you get to the end of whatever the game was, luckily somebody has already been in a position to tabulate these scores and you know who won, right? What this is, this is the equivalent of if there was a basketball game and the game ended, and then after the game ended, they started trying to cop, uh, count up all the points. Like, the game itself, that's over. All right? All they're doing now is counting. Let me know when you get finished. Counting. And so... Like, I don't have news alerts set on my phone or anything because, like, if the news is that damn important, I'm probably wind up coming across it anyway, like, in my travels or however it goes, right? But I didn't need no news alert on my phone when they had reached a point where people felt like they could call the election. Didn't need that at all. You know what my news alert was? They was outside banging on pots and pans and honking their horns. And... The pots and pans, I guess that really is what gave me the signal because people honking their horns in New York. I mean, that don't necessarily indicate a celebration. In fact, I imagine that there was somebody who either A, had not checked his phone and was like at a red light and all these people start honking. And he's like, yo, goddamn, man, the light red. You can't even turn on red here. All right? Or there was somebody that was perfectly aware of what was going on and it was just in their car, and everybody was honking their horns, and they was salty as hell about it. Just, just mad. Just unhappy. Because I do have to say, and it certainly wasn't for everybody, but there was like a palpable happiness in, the, in New York City in a way that, honestly, I don't know the last time I saw, felt, experienced, or ever have, to be perfectly honest. Just like a wide like outpouring from just people outside just seeming to be like really happy. Like I was strolling through Central Park on Saturday and a lot of people jogging and it was deep, by the way, deep. Cause it looked like last weekend might've been the last good weekend of weather we was gonna have out here. So they was deep, right? But people was feeling good, man. How long you think that gonna last? Anybody? Like, uh, how long you think that's going to go? Because all this stuff kind of temporary in that regard, you know? It's going to take a long time. If you think something broke, it's going to take a long time to fix. So, we shall see. Also, I believe, as we have talked about previously, and it's worth repeating again, I don't know if you guys, like, actually, let me tell you a story here. It's actually pretty funny. I had gone to this barbershop in Durham one time, and 
this was when the PlayStation 3 had come out. Okay. Now, I keep hearing, you know, everything's going on now with the PlayStation 5 and everybody's so hype about it. Um, but the PlayStation 3 came out. And let me read this story to you. I remember when it came out. And the headline is PS3 short. Oh, here we go. PS3 debut leads to violence disorder. Um, let me see if I can find. Oh, no, this isn't the story I'm looking for. I got to find the story I'm looking for. But there was there was one particular story. I think it was people in uh, Pennsylvania, right? And they had uh, these folks that cop these plea, these, they, you know, because you had to like camp out, right? And so people were camping out at the mall, like getting there way early, crack of dawn. And then as soon as, um, as soon as the stores opened, folks went in and got them. And if I'm not mistaken, the people were like going in early. Okay. So what'd you wind up having? What'd you wind up having was a bunch of people who were out there at five, six o'clock in the morning and everybody knew why they were there and everybody knew that the first person who would come out would be someone who had a PlayStation. And so folks was going up in the mall and they were getting their PlayStations and they were coming out. And what was waiting on them? Gentleman by the name of Rasco. <laughs> that Rasco's right there in their faces, right there to get them for them PlayStations, right? And this is the line that I was looking for in this story. I think this mall, yeah, here we go. It says the two gunmen in the Northeast Connecticut town of Putnam confronted 15 to 20 people standing outside of Walmart shortly after 3 a.m. Oh, okay, this is before the people even got their PlayStations. All the man knew is that you at least had a credit card, right? So it said the two gunmen in the northeast Connecticut town of Putnam confronted 10 to 15 to 20 people standing outside of Walmart shortly after 3 a.m. and demanded money, says State Police Lieutenant J. Paul Vance. Quote, one of the patrons resisted. That patron was shot, Vance said. So, yeah, I bring that up because I was in this barbershop and the, the, the PlayStation 3 had come out and I didn't even give this story out, right? Like, people were just asking, like, a classically barbershop story, which is if you had gone through all of that to get to PlayStation 3 and somebody pulled a tool on you to get to PlayStation 3, would you give up the PlayStation 3? And usually there's someone loud and obnoxious to be like, I wouldn't come up off it, right? Well, there was somebody who did say that they would not come up off that PlayStation in that barbershop, but it was not a loud, obnoxious situation. It was a young man who I recall was something like 9 or 10, right? And he was like, no, I wouldn't give it up. I wouldn't give it up. And I remember one of the barbers looked at him and said, look here, son. I don't know uh, what it is that you watch on TV, but you need to start watching this show called The News. <laughs> talking about I ain't coming off this uh, PlayStation. Man, please. Somebody in the, in the chat room talking about do I have the tool on me too. Here's my thing about the what if I got the tool on me too crowd. If that dude already got his tool out, what do you think he's going to be like? All right, all right, hold on. Time out, time out, time out, time out. Let your man get his gun out for, get, get his gun too so we can be fair. Like, uh, what, you going to slickly go for your piece? Like, as this dude comes out with the gun to rob you, you're going you, 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 you a magician, right? You're just going to figure out some way to just be like, Okay, okay, I'm going. I'm going to get my wallet. Word. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Whatever. Anyway, 
I say that to all y'all when it comes to talking about this here pandemic. I don't know what y'all watch on TV, but y'all might need to start watching this show called The News. And to be fair, I don't even really watch the show called The News, so I don't even know if they talking about this on The News. But, like, the Rona is doing thriller numbers right now. Thriller, I tell you. The Rona is the Cabbage Patch Dolls. Hold up, this dude right here talking about Bo ain't never been in no smoke. What smoke is it that you are talking about that I have never been in? What, the smoke of pulling guns on people? Yeah, you are correct. I have not been there. Let me tell you some smoke I have been in. The smoke that has somebody put a pistol to your head. And let me tell you something about that. Somebody put a pistol to your head. If I had had one, there was no plan for going to get mine. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, every single one of y'all is a character out of a movie when you start talking about what you would do if you had your piece. Like, there are absolutely some scenarios under which having your piece would allow you to provide a measure of safety and be proactive in times of trouble, all right? All I'm trying to tell you is, if you walk in with a damn PlayStation 3 in probably both your hands rather than just one and somebody run up on you with the tool, your tool is futile. Right? Like, maybe you spot this out. You'd be so brilliant about it. But knowing you, if you did all that to get the PlayStation, let me tell you what you're probably not about to put on the ground. Right? That dude with the tool, he might not get your PlayStation. Somebody else will. The dude said, who's shopping alone in 2024 expensive shit? I'm talking about the PlayStation 3 right now. Oh, hey, get Jamal out the room, man. I can tell already he heard. Anyway, uh, now nah, leave him in. I see what he's trying to do, Lance. He can stay. He can stay. Um, but back to my point about this coronavirus. I just don't get the feeling that the world is appreciating that we back to where we were. And see, the thing is, when we were where we were, there was news, right, associated with that. I don't feel like the push on the news is the same to discuss the gravity of the current situation. Now, if I'm, if I'm, not on, if I'm getting it in the wrong place, you feel free to let me know. But, and maybe this is just a byproduct of all things that are going on with this election. But I do believe that the state of affairs with the coronavirus is a bigger deal right now than anything. Well, no, I can't say anything going on with Trump. That's going too far. But I think it's of similar magnitude. Like, it's about to be a shutdown for Christmas. All right? And let me tell you what you're about to have, man. I don't think that people understand this. Like, New York City's had this thing, or New York State, rather, has had this thing. Where, like, if you leave and if you went to one of the states that they deemed to be unsafe and then came back, they're like, all right, you on that 14-day quarantine program, and they're not just taking your word for it. Like, they calling and checking and coming by the crib and all of this stuff. Like, that is what they are doing, you know, like, if you wind up leaving the state. Um, and going to one of these places. And, you know, they got to drop on all of us. So it ain't like you can really do it but so many sneaky ways, particularly if you're not taking an automobile. But anyway, um, this whole thing is going to be shut down before Christmas, man. Like, these hospitals are full up. And one thing that I think that has happened um, in the course of time since the coronavirus initially hit is I think that so much has gone on that we have kind of forgotten what the reason, like one of the big reasons for the initial lockdown that we had, right? And the reason for the initial lockdown that we had was not simply to stop people from catching it. Like there was a bit of an understanding that there were going to be people who were going to catch it, and that was to a degree unavoidable. But what we could do is whatever we could to alleviate the strain on the healthcare system. All right. And so that's one thing for me, like living in New York. One thing about living in New York is you're not far from anything. Right. There are very, like unless you're dealing with some like particularly specialized thing, like just about everything is close to you. Like everybody lives close to a school. Everybody lives close to a housing project. 
everybody lives close to a dry cleaner, like so forth and so on, right? Like we go through all these lists of things that everybody lives close to. But one of those things that you don't think that much about is in New York, everybody lives close to a hospital. Everybody does. And so when those ambulances were running all day and night, everybody lived close to a hospital. Everybody was going to hear those sirens. Like there was no way for you to not be intimately aware of the gravity of what the situation was, right? Like you remember what we was doing? Like I, I ain't heard it in a long time and I don't know if people constantly stopped or whatever it was, but you remember when we was doing like the seven o'clock salute to the healthcare workers, you know, all the applause and everything else. There was basically nowhere in the city where you could not hear people applauding the healthcare workers because everybody lives close to a hospital. All right. So here you couldn't imagine it away, right? You couldn't other, like I think about, like people have made comparisons between what's going on with the coronavirus and the swine flu. I'm going to be honest with you. I had no idea the swine flu was such a big deal. Like, I don't remember my life being affected at all by the swine flu. I don't remember taking any precautions. I don't remember anybody around me, like, actually being afraid of it. Like, it just felt like something we was reading about in the newspaper. You know, I could be wrong, but, like, I had no recollection of that, like, actually being a thing. Like, I recall it just being something we just kind of joked about, you know? But I didn't remember it, like, being a thing. I wonder that if there are for some people where it's just, where for a long time it was kind of like that. It was like this thing that was going on. But for whatever reason, it didn't really come close to home in a way that mattered. Because I just be seeing the dumb shit that y'all are doing on Instagram, man, and I just don't understand it, man. I just really, really don't. Like, people just don't understand the way that you got to play the game right now. Um, but these numbers are soaring, and they are going to continue to soar. And if people are not responsible about Thanksgiving and Christmas, man, we're going to have, like, a giant, giant, giant problem. Keeping in mind that we already have a giant problem. You know? And them, them last two giants I added, they were not multiples. They are exponents. Like, that's where we are. Uh, that's what this is about to be. And it just kind of blows my mind that the world that we're in is so chaotic that this is kind of secondary. Like, I was thinking about it because the second lockdown is coming, right? And so I was thinking about it. And I was like, wow, it would really stink if we went into a second lockdown. Except for me, it honestly would not. The second lockdown, my life would basically be the same life that I've been living since March. Like, for me, what brought us inside in the first place never changed. It never stopped. You know, and I don't really have a great grasp when it comes to other people. Like, what changed for y'all? Was like the only thing, and I think this is maybe the thing that we've learned here, is that apparently the only thing that brought people inside was being mandated to do so. That there's not really a sense of collective responsibility or perhaps just simple awareness of like what the true magnitude of this is. And the idea, the fact that it's not simply that you, I mean, I, I ain't gonna lie, I stay inside largely for selfish reasons. I ain't trying to catch it. But even if you're fearless about catching it, it's about spreading. You know, and people think it's like an exception because it's your mama, your granny, or whatever, but it can't be that. Like, it just can't. And that's where this is about to go. And... People's bread is already getting short, number one. And number two, this is a reality of the game, which is December matters a lot for a lot of people's money. 
And you ain't going to be able to do it like you used to. And even if you knew what was coming in March, for a lot of people, there's no way that they could plan around that. There's no way that they could budget around that, especially considering the fact that once this all came down in March, people's pockets was hitting hard, getting hit already. You know, like stimulus check will help. It'll help. But it ain't going to fix. So then what? I saw... I think it was in Ohio, maybe in Cleveland. I don't know if it was the whole state of Ohio, but I think it was Cleveland at the very least. Um, they overturned a moratorium on, it was either evictions or like utility disconnections. I can't remember which, but it was, it was something cruel like that. They, oh, they, they, they got rid of the moratorium on that, like coming right around for December. That's not going to be positive, guys. It's not. I don't know what people are going to have to do, like with these kids in school and everything else, right? Like that's something I like. I don't have to do that, right? I don't know what it is to try to work your job and get your kids set up to do the school stuff or whatever it is, you know. I don't know, but that's where we are. That's where this is. So I'm asking you. If you can't do it for you, can't do it for somebody else, I don't know what you got to do it for. But I'm just telling you, you might want to get a head start on chilling out. Because it's about, let me tell you, man. One thing Joe Biden got to think about is, and this is just how the game works, okay? No matter who the last guy was, no matter what the last guy did, the second you become the president, these problems are yours. They are yours. Good luck with that. All right. Let's see what's up with these questions. Here's a question. How the fuck have you never seen Remember the Titans? So I haven't seen Remember the Titans, right? Um... Why do people react like this um, to the idea that you haven't seen a movie? I just haven't seen it. I don't feel like watching it. There's nothing that I have seen or heard about Remember the Titans that makes me think, yeah, that's how I'd like to spend an hour and a half. I'm just not into it like that. I just don't care. Why do you care? Like, that. that's all, like... I seen Stevie Wonder live at Red Rocks with Usher dancing on his piano. And you worried about me seeing Remember the Titans? How'd that work? But no, people really get charged up about that when you ain't seen whatever their little favorite movie is, man. And like, I'm just not a movie person in that way. I don't see all that stuff. But like, come on, man. Appreciate the question. See what else you got here. How insufferable would AKAs be now that Kamala is vice president? So, I guess I should start this just to help uh, our Caucasian friends out just a little bit. Because I feel like white folks, they got, you know, however many levels of, how, 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 like, they got a zillion of them fraternities and sororities, man. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know. Like, you can't even really count them. They got a zillion of them, right? Black folks got nine, okay? Fraternities, it is what? Alpha Phi Alpha, uh, Omega Psi Phi, uh, Kappa Alpha Psi, Phi Beta Sigma, and... uh, uh. Uh, uh, is there a, uh, 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 what, what, what's, what's the, the Greek letter for you? It's, uh, U, Phi, Sigma. Isn't that the other one? U, Phi, Sigma? What's the Greek letter for you? Yeah, U, Phi, Sigma. UPS. Anyway, um, and then for sororities, you got 
uh, Delta Sigma Theta, you got Zeta Phi Beta, you got Sigma Gamma Rho. There we go, Upsilon, Upsilon Phi Sigma. There we go, uh, Sigma Gamma Rho, and then you got Alpha Kappa, Alpha Kappa Alpha. That's the AKAs. I think they were the first one, right? Okay, so anyway, like I said, just to help the white folks out and understand this, we ain't got that many sororities, right? So that means that every black woman who wanted to be in a sorority with other black women, they in one of four of them, okay? Like, that's the split. It ain't, we ain't breaking the groups up into that many, okay? They in one of those four, all right? Now... With the exception, I don't really know that much about Sigma Gamma Rose, to be honest. I just don't know anything. They didn't have them at Clark when I was there. No, no disrespect to y'all. I think they called themselves poodles. I don't really know much about y'all, okay? Uh, Zetas, they got a bit more of a, like, woman of the people kind of steez. But the other ones are kind of perceived to be a bit bourgeois. And the AKAs are perceived to be, like, at the height of the bourgeoisness. Like, you would kind of imagine Willie Gilbert of a different world being an uh, an aka that's what it would be but anyway those people who decide to join them cliques and um they're very proud of being in those sororities and they make noises to signify their arrival um like i felt so bad what was that woman's name she works for the washington post she used to cover the um she used to cover the washington nationals then she got into politics with chelsea james I believe that's her name. And I felt so bad for her because Kamala Harris came out at some event and she made reference to some like screeching sound. Everybody's like, that's not screeching. They are ski weird. How you don't know who the AKAs are? Why the fuck would she know who the AKAs are? I don't know nothing about this. Only, only time I know anything about a white fraternity or sorority is when they do something racist. That's it. Like you asked me to name a white, white fraternities. All I got for you are the ones that I know that engage in transparent outward racism. I don't know nothing about them. I can't really blame them for not knowing nothing about our sororities to the point where, again, we only got four of them. So the AKAs is rolling up deeper than any of theirs would likely roll up because they split in the pie in more directions. So anyway, the AKAs had a vice president of the United States. First black woman to be vice president of the United States. They got themselves what I like to call a trivia question, okay? So when people are learning who the prominent members of the fraternities and sororities are as they are preparing to be treated poorly in the name of membership, as they prepare to do that, Kamala Harris name going to come up over and over again. It's going to be all kinds of girls that go to college that want to pledge AKA because that's what Kamala Harris did. Like, it's going to be a very, very big deal. I can only imagine the level of pride that the AKAs feel, right? But I ask you just to simply consider this story, okay? So when I was in college, in the dorm, there were these two twins from new orleans and they was like modeling type dudes right like they was the way they it was like like it would have been excellent for if it was just one of them but then they happened to be twins you know what i mean like the girls was all over them they they was running it in that regard all right and one of them pledged kappa and i remember i was out there at the probate show and somebody was talking about how now that the one twin had crossed Kappa that you wasn't going to be able to tell him nothing. And I remember thinking, and as I was thinking it, somebody jumped up and said it and was like, you act like somebody can tell him anything now. And that's how I think the AKAs are going to be as it relates to Kamala Harris, which is to say, if you believe them to be insufferable, there will be no addition to the insufferability, <laughs> right? They are just going to be who they are and who they have been. Like, getting a vice president doesn't make them think any differently of themselves. 
they just been waiting for somebody else to get hip. But yeah, nah, they'll be what they always were. If you find that to be insufferable, if you do, look how I'm using them hypotheticals. If you do, it's just gonna be more the same. You guys saying that if High Noon was still on, Pablo would be claiming Kamala. No, Pablo, he uses the term Asian diaspora, but South Asians don't make it into the diaspora, and so he don't really claim them in. It's a lot, man. It's a lot. All right, let's see what else we got here. Mina quote tweeted a sports book that has her as an option to replace Trebek. How hard would hiding your jealousy be in this situation? All right, a couple things you got to know about me, though. Number one, I ain't really so inclined toward jealous, generally speaking. Number two, I wouldn't be jealous about that. Like, hosting Jeopardy, for me, would not be that much fun. And you know why it wouldn't be that much fun? I would not be very good at pretending you guys are interesting. Like one thing I give Alex Trebek credit for, when people would be getting up there and telling a little something about themselves and it'd be the most mundane shit in the world, he was really good at like acting like he cared about that. He really, really was. Uh, I had mentioned on Twitter today about how that's a job that's better for somebody a little bit more friendly than I am. And somebody said something in my mentions, and I was like, wow, you really get me. And the dude was like, he could imagine me responding to somebody and saying, You've been waiting your whole life to get on Jeopardy, and this is the story that you told? And that is exactly something that I would want to say, right? Like, Alex Trebek is always very smooth about it when he hits people with that ether. They don't notice until after it happens. I got a buddy of mine who says that that's how I am, but I'd be like, nah, people recognize that shit for me immediately. They just didn't know what to do, right? Like, they weren't exactly sure what the, like, what the next play was going to be. They didn't see it coming, but they, but they, they knew it was there. I wouldn't want to be the host of Jeopardy. Like, really, what would be fun about that? I don't see it. I don't see it. I just don't have that, like, I don't think I could really be the host of any game show. That'd be, that'd be, a, that'd be a tough way to go. That ain't, I ain't built for that. All right, appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. Who gets credit for Georgia going blue? Who cares? I ask that question seriously, right? Like, I mean, and maybe this is just me and having taken a couple too many game theory courses and recognizing that, like, I guess we're talking about, like, swing coalitions in this case. And we can make an argument for a bunch of them. We can make an argument that it was white women in the suburbs of Atlanta who decided they had enough of Donald Trump and that's what turned in the other direction. We could point to the massive turnout um, of black folks and the overwhelming Democratic votes of black women, which are of a greater proportion than black men. Like, I think there's a bunch of people that you could wind up pointing to in this situation. To me, the standout, obviously, in how that went was Stacey Abrams with I mean, it's like, okay, cool. You cheated me out of my election, which seemed to be the way that people felt about hers. All right, well, I'm going to go build a machine and we're going to come out here and vote in a way that makes sure that something like that don't happen again. And did it. And did it, right? Like, to me, I am not comparing her to Fannie Lou Hamer because they are coming from different worlds and in different situations. But... What I am saying is what Abrams pointed to is the impact to do things without being the elected official per se. Because she winds up being a more important figure than any individual involved in anything that's going on in Georgia. You know? And so, like, if you were to ask me about credit, maybe that's the way I would go, like, in that direction. But I really am not... I'm a bit disinclined to go toward demographic classifications um, on that one. 
I tell you this, though. Y'all better be ready for whatever the hell happened next. Like, one thing about places like Georgia and the likes, um, they don't tend to just, like, you know, get a result like we just got. They don't tend to look at that and be like, uh, oh, you got us fair and square. I wonder what we're going to do now. The answer is something. I don't know what exactly it's going to be. I don't know what the means are going to be, but you better get ready. They're going to do something. Like, that one's not over by a long shot, no matter what happens in January. Believe that. Like, you might need Stacey Abrams, Stacey Abrams again pretty soon. All right, appreciate the question. Here we go. Do you think Tribe versus Outcast is going to be lopsided? All right. So I saw that Fonte has said on Twitter that Outcast versus Tribe um, versus would basically be the Civil War in a lot of ways. And I think there's something to that because I do think that there is a relatively quiet outcast is overrated crowd out there. And those people are more likely to be in line to be like Tribe Called Quest fans. I think those are all fair statements to make. Okay. Here's the thing about a tribe outcast versus. Versus has pretty overwhelmingly been an African-American event. Right? I think we could all agree on that. Let me tell you who really, 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 really loves Tribe. And really, really, really has a lot to do with the venerated place that they have um, in hip-hop. And that is white folks. Now, I say this as somebody who really rocks with Tribe, and I'm not saying they're doing any kind of sellout stuff, but there's anything wrong with the white people being on it. I'm just telling you that if you get in a versus with the people who are typically in the room for a versus, all right? I mean, you drop, check the rhyme, it's going to jump off. You drop Anita Applebaum, it's going to jump off. All right. You drop butter and I'll be excited. But I don't know about the room. All right. Outcast got a lot more songs that I know that I could drop in one of them places and set it off for the whole entire room. Right. He dropped players ball. You know how it's going to go. Southern playlist can't like music, not nearly as much. But elevators, know how it's going to go. AT Aliens, know how it's going to go. Rosa Parks, um, know how that's going to go. All right, and then we didn't have to get into like the way you move, like the, the things that were like, like super commercial smashes. Miss Jackson, Bonds Over Baghdad. And I, by the way, I cannot believe. I... There is a movement among people who try to act like there's something. It, it, I, the argument was being made basically that the hype beast call on like the best outcast track is Bombs Over Baghdad. All right. You may not think the Bombs Over Baghdad is your favorite outcast song, but Bombs Over Baghdad is, I repeat, is, I repeat, is the greatest single in the history of rap music. Like, to me, there ain't no way around that. There is nothing that you want rap music to be that it is not. Sometimes all at once, sometimes like a relay race. But there is, like, the idea that some of y'all gonna try to act like y'all are too good for bombs over Baghdad, that's the most ridiculous thing that I have ever heard. Ever, 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 ever. It is um, as amazing now as it was the first time I ever heard it. It is incredible, all right? So it might not be your jam. That's fine. But don't act like it ain't what it is. Anyway, so Tribe will hit you with scenario. That'll set the whole thing off, right? I don't really know what Tribe is dropping after Midnight Marauders that's going to get anybody charged up like that. Like, is Footprints going to do it? Left my wallet in El Segundo? Is that going to do it? 
And I ask this as somebody who likes this stuff. Right? Excursions? Is that going to do it? Electric Relaxation. I love that song. I'm not sure how much everybody else loves that song. So I'm just saying, like, it will be a bit of a civil war. Yes. But I think that Outkast, with their catalog, would overwhelm them. People are saying, let's slip some Q-tip in there. Viber thing, breathe and stop, and what? That's going to hit the whole room. Right. Like, for this format, I just don't feel like Tribe is, I don't think it's going to go the way they want. All right. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. Up to this point, what do you believe has been the most positive moment of 2020? I mean, everybody's going to have their own um, interpretations of these things. Um, and we all see the world in different ways and been through different things, experiencing different things now, so forth and so on. Um, but to me, there's no question what the most positive moment of 2020 was. I got name checked in a black thought verse. Like I recognize that some of y'all might be struggling. You know what I'm saying? Trying to figure out what to live for and all this stuff, man. You might get name checked in a black thought verse. I never thought that would happen to me neither. I'm trying to give you that should inspire you. That could be a thing. That could be you one day. I'm here to help people. I'm here to help. Do you see the mainstream media being able to divorce themselves with Trump after he leaves office? Will they continue to keep him relevant? Now, I don't think they're going to have time to do that. I don't know if you're noticing, man, but we're in the middle of a damn pandemic. Like, I really think that once Trump gets out of there, the pandemic goes straight to the front page and it all turns to Biden and becomes, what are you going to do about it? That's what the pivot winds up being. Now, I don't know what happens with Trump or how he tries to play it or anything else after he goes, but his entitlement to our attention dwindles greatly once he's lost the authority. Is it hilarious or terrifying that the Trumpsters are fleeing the parlor? Now, I don't even really like, so parlor is like the social media app that has become like where the conservatives can go on social media. Um, I'm not terrified by it. Like the, the congregations of people on the right that I would find to be terrifying, they're doing that already. <laughs> Right, like, like whatever needs to terrify me about that coming up with their own new social media app, that isn't really going to be the thing to do it. The thing that I will say, though, that always gets me when people say that something like Twitter is too liberal and so forth and so on, you curate your own timeline. Like, even if Twitter is the most liberal place in the world, you get to decide how much of that liberalism to take in. Why are you doing this to yourself? Because, look, I know how far extreme and right the Twitter can get because I'm on television and I say nice things about black people. So I get, like, I don't invite myself into those places. They come show up where I'm at, right? These folks, they talking about, they don't have to engage in this. Like, no matter where you are, you can set up your world and shut it off as it is. So, I mean, I guess they can go over there and I, I just, I don't know, I struggle to see the point of what they're talking about and doing. I really, really do. Appreciate the question. See what else we got here. Did you see Kiki Palmer's idea on how people should use EBT cards and how it should only be used to buy healthy foods? So this is another example of Kiki Palmer getting out here talking about stuff on the internet that makes her appear to be privileged and detached from the struggles that most people go through. And of course, you know what that turns into everybody pick on kiki palmer on the internet right i mean it was for me it just got old so fast because i mean i admit that i am i am tired of watching the pile on to people because it's just people purging their unhappiness and i understand that part but nobody's saying anything that needs to be heard or said right like the purpose of the quote tweet is a performance 
And so it just becomes a performance on like who can drag Kiki Palmer the hardest. And what she said was silly and like absolutely ridiculous. And it is a bit frustrating that people don't understand what the situation is with people with food and getting healthy food and food deserts and so forth and so on. But what I'm trying to figure out more than anything else is if you're Kiki Palmer, why in the world do you even want to talk about this on Twitter? Like, what do you think you're going to get positive out of this? There was a time period where people with some level of fame could get on Twitter and be wrong about something. Those days are long, long gone. You cannot get on the internet and be wrong if you have 75 followers, let alone on if you got seven figures worth. You can't do it. You are not going to get anything positive out of it. So you decide that you're going to try to put on this performance and be and basically advocate for healthy living, not realizing that what you're doing is wagging your finger at people who are doing the best they can. All right. And what did you get out of this? You just got dragged. All day long I dragged and then tried to come up and pop back at people just a little bit. And again, my question, why are you here? What are you getting out of this? Like, I feel pretty confident saying that Kiki Palmer is not doing one single positive thing for her career by being on Twitter. You think it's making her any money? You think it's getting her any roles? Like, if I'm Kiki Palmer, why am I even having this out loud thought on that platform? For what? Why? Right? And it's because that's where everybody is, man. You know, especially she's of a different age, right? Like, that's where everybody is. Like, you want to participate in this game. Like, this is what it is that you want to do. But I just look at that, and I see this happen to people, like, with, especially because there's such a resentment. Resentment is unfair. That's not the best way to put it. But, like, I've seen people getting on there and talking about Kiki Palmer, like, she's rich, so she has no idea what regular people are going through. Um, are you sure that Kiki Palmer is rich? Because I have no reason to assume that she's rich. I definitely don't think she's poor. And I definitely think that she has enough money that she can be removed from what people like go through. But like, do you really think that Kiki Palmer is rich? Like what Twitter has basically evolved into is the high school cafeteria, right? Like everything turns into the high school cafeteria. And the way that everybody masks their insecurities and everything else is by jumping on somebody first. You know, that's what it becomes. But it is also turned into, like, you hear people talk about the blue checks. And as I have told you many times, they get blue checks to all kinds of people, right? I've gone through my followers and sorted it by who is verified. And they are loosey-goosey on who gets these blue checks. That is not a real high standard, uh, getting this blue check. But you hear people talk about the blue checks. Like, think about the ways that people create hierarchies on Twitter without anybody putting a hierarchy on them. Like, the only reason for verification and the only reason I accepted it myself was too many people coming up with fake accounts. I needed people to know it was me, right? But it was not like, wow, I've made it. I have a blue check. And I don't think I know anybody that, like, really, really looks at it um, in that way. But the blue checks have become, like, their own class of people on Twitter, right? And so they are, like, the anointed cool kids that other people can't stand whenever one of them gets something wrong or says something that people think is like detached from their world. Like, you know, any people with blue checks are broke as hell, struggling just like everybody else. But they are like separated into this other class of people. And so somebody like Kiki Palmer winds up in this place. But I see very often people talk about celebrities and they'll be like, well, you know, they're rich, so they just don't get it. And in my travels, the conclusion I've been able to draw and that I think is worth bringing up here is, not all of them people you talking about are rich. At least not rich in the way that I think that you believe, like, that you think rich means. There's a wage gap. Like, how do you think the wage gap comes? You understand what I'm saying? Like, ain't everybody as rich as you think they are. I can just tell you that right now. 
And so uh, Kiki Palmer is not a rich person who doesn't get it. She's just a person who doesn't get it. They make all kinds of folks like that, you know? But I just watched it, man. It was just like, damn. I like the Keelan to be. I thought it was a very important movie. All right, last question. What do you think has made people more accepting of rappers still dropping albums in their late 30s and 40s when before it was a running joke about still rapping at that age? I'll tell you exactly what made it more acceptable for rappers to drop albums in their late 30s and 40s. The fans of those rappers themselves moving into their late 30s and 40s, right? <laughs> like, I'm 40 years old. If you don't like what the young kids is into, you'll be happy as hell when one of your old favorites decides to drop a tape. You know, like, like when you're 25 and you're like, I ain't going to be rapping when I'm 40. That's old. Then you get 40 and you be like, A, that's not old. And B, what else am I supposed to do? Nah, but what I think happened in part, though, was we got to a place, though, for the rapper in his late 30s and early 40s to rap about being in his late 30s and his early 40s. You know, like rap was a young art form that sounded like the young people who were doing the rapping when it first started. Right. Well, then the people got older, and then once the people got older, the rap got older, you know? And so this is not an art form that has to be stuck in this place of youth. I mean, Pete Townsend said, he hope, I hope I die before I get old. At least he wrote it, Roger sang it, but I hope I die before I get old. Pete Townsend is like damn near 80 years old. Still play a show if you pay him enough. That's all that happened, man. And then people themselves got older and realized that old didn't mean what they thought it did when they was young. But ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Evening Jones. Try to do this thing about once a week. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you cannot watch The Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. You can also find us at the Google Play Store. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Take it easy.